0: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns. All men require attention, but I think for him he requires like a little higher level of attention. And he already is, no offense. There's a lot no, to deal no. with. No. I understand. I understand. It could be draining in a sense for me personally. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Cara Berry, Married at First Sight, Boston edition. Um, as you guys know, I did not do a traditional recap last week. However, if you weren't aware, I did a mini recap on Monday's episode. Um, if you guys didn't listen to it, it's the episode I did with uh, Melissa from the real world New Orleans, which is actually back. So check out that interview if you have not. Um, that was Monday's episode. Uh, and the maths recap is the first, I would say, 15, 20 minutes of that episode. Um, so check that out. And let's talk about this week. Um, the couples returned back from their couples retreat in Boston. And, you know, maybe I'm just like kind of spoiled. <laughs> That's probably not the word by all uh, the disaster of uh, Hurricane Michaela from last season, but I felt like this, uh, couple's retreat wasn't really all that exciting. Usually they are, like even without Michaela, you know, playing, um, uh, rock'em sock'em robot all over that <laughs> cabin. Usually we get more drama and stuff, but nothing. I don't really remember there being like a super dramatic moment. So anyway, let's move on. Um, so on the ride back, we're starting off with Michael and Jasmina. Jasmina asked Michael if he expected to hear from anybody else during their medium session from last episode. He said that he kind of assumed his mom or maybe grandmother would be coming through, but and he was a little bit surprised that it was his brother. So Jasmina was like, oh, but don't you remember that the medium said something about two people? and Michael's like, "Yeah, but I think those two people that she was referring to were the two other individuals who were in the car with his brother when he died." So, we found out, I don't know if we knew this, but his brother died in a road rage ac- road, road rage accident um and was shot obviously. And so yeah, that that's, that's actually pretty wild. Uh and he seemed pretty taken aback by it, too. Uh, then Jasmina says that she started to notice a change in Michael and his desire to open up to her. And so this is the episode where everybody's going back, right? They're going to their old childhood homes their old stomping grounds and reading this letter to themselves. Right. And we also get uh, meetings with Dr. Pepper, which I appreciate it. If only for the fact that we're actually seeing experts y'all, we saw Viviana briefly in a talking head, and I was like, oh, <laughs> where has she been? Where has Viviana been this whole time? Um, wh- I, I really wonder like, what production was thinking in terms of... Because at first I thought that maybe the experts are being a little bit more hands-off because of COVID, which made all the sense in the world. But now I think we're past that in terms of production. So I'm just still very confused as why we're seeing so little of all three of them. But... That's something that they're going to have to figure out. Also, should I say this? I I need a break from Married at First Sight, you guys. Like, I, now that I knowing they're in the, produ- the same production as 90 Day Fiance and Love After Lockup, I'm seeing where we're going, and they're just going to churn and churn and churn out these iterations of Married at First Sight. And, like, we as a family, as a country, as a society need to say, like, I need more of a break. I'm going to tell you guys right now, like... If I, if it's less than two months between the end of the season and the next one, I don't think I'm going to recap it. It's just, it's too much for me. It's really, really going to have to be good to make up for it. Because this is a lot, you guys. Like, not to complain about the process. I love doing these podcasts and stuff. But, like, the difference between having to take notes for an one-hour episode versus a two-hour episode is, like, ugh. I don't know what it means. Like, it's the only thing that I can um, equate it to is like, you know, people say, oh, you have one kid and that's you can like kind of handle that. But once you go from one kid to two, it's like it's like complete bedlam and you have to completely restructure something about that one hour to two hour difference. It's just like it takes it feels like it takes all day (laughs) to do these recaps and I can't do it because it might take me like twice as long to watch an episode so if it's like an hour long episode that might take me two hours to take notes maybe an hour and a half for some reason like if i'm doing these two hour episodes it could take me like four or five hours to do these and that's a lot you guys like it's it's really a lot it's really a lot um so i don't know you guys if you guys really like these mass recaps you better pray Write to your local producer, local senator, and say, give Kara just three months off before we get into the next season, because this is truly a lot. Um, But anyway, we're talking about Michael and Jasmina. Um, So first we go to, uh, Jasmina's childhood home. Um, she lived there before her parents got divorced. It has a lot of good and bad memories for her. She has a complicated relationship with her father and she says, you know, it was kind of a bittersweet moment to show Michael her old house. Um, but she wanted to show him and under, have him understand all that she's been through. So, they go outside to her old school and she talks about, uh, miss. I, and I want to put respect on her name because Jasmina demanded that we did miss, uh, Petaskey, I think was her name. Um, she was a woman who was really there for Jasmina during her time, a teacher who was really there for Jasmina during her time of need. And when she reads this letter to herself, she talks about how after her parents got divorced, she had uh, her first stepmother was really emotionally withholding and would never hug her or show Jasmina any sort of affection. And it really made her feel very lonely. And so Miss Petaskey was the one who stepped in and was able to like fulfill her emotionally. And that really did wonders. And Michael brings up kind of an aha moment for Jasmina. It was very clear by her reaction that she hadn't really thought about that, which is, um, do you think that you would be a teacher if it, had not been for the love that Miss Pataski showed you. And she says, honestly, I probably wouldn't. And then he asks her if uh, she's ever told her teacher that. And she said, no. And yeah, you could just tell it was like a, oh, like this was a light bulb moment for Jasmina. Even Michael starts to get a little bit emotional. And in a confessional, he talks about how like happy he is that he and Jasmina were able to have these conversations because up until recently, They weren't able to be anywhere near that vulnerable with each other. Then they switched places. Michael shows Jasmina, one of his homes that he uh, was living in during his childhood year, his high school years. He said he was living there from 14 to 18. And he takes her to a baseball field. He and his brother used to play. And how they used to talk about how they wanted their mom to come and run laps with them. But it just never happened. He reads his letter to his younger self and it encourages him to, like, you know, take all the moments you can with your mom. If she asks you to go to church, don't complain about it. Just do it. Like, take in all of these moments because, you know, they're going to not be there for very long. And then he says, you know, even though it might seem like your future is going to be sad, don't worry about it because you're actually really thriving. And then he tells Jasmina... That they, as a couple, really have a lot to think about before decision day. So it seems to be like they're on, they're like on a, in this bubble, right? Where the bubble's about to burst where like everything's good and going good and on paper. And even in real life seems to be going well. Like Jasmina definitely seems to be more calm, more open, more intimate with Michael. And it does, like you can tell by the look in her eyes that she really likes him. But I wonder, like, is she genuinely, genuinely not attracted to him? Or is she waiting for him to make the first move? I don't know. I'm very confused about this whole situation. So Dr. Pepper comes over. They're both happy to report that they have not gotten into an argument in quite some time with each other. Things are pretty much smooth sailing with them. And Jasmina says that she feels a lot more comfortable over the fact that Michael's offering up more of his personal information about himself rather than her having to like constantly ask and interview him to get that information out. Michael says that he's had to learn to not keep such a wall up with people because, he's learned that people can't learn who he is that way. And then they shift to kids and Jasmina wants to have kids. She's on a deadline. She wants to start having them in about a year and a half or yeah. Next 18 months. And Dr. Pepper's like, yeah, about that. Um, are you guys doing anything at all to even try to have kids now? And, Michael's like, well, we walked right into that, didn't we? So they have to reveal, like I said, they're not even, they're not fucking, no fucking, no sucking, no rubbing, no massaging, no, they're not even holding hands, not even kissing. It's dry. It's very, very dry with regard to their romantic relationship. And Dr. Pepper says, there seems to be a connection between you guys. So like what's going on? So Jasmina says she's just not there yet. What she's been saying this whole time. Um, She doesn't know if she needs to bite the bullet or, and just kiss him or to see like if there's a feeling, but she's not even feeling motivated to test it out. Basically. Um Michael says in a confessional, Basically, his hands are tied. I can't force her, obviously, to do anything. All I can do is just keep showing up for Jasmina, and the rest of that is up to her. (sighs) Absolutely, he should not be forcing anything. But, like, Jasmina said, you know, I caught you trying to hold my hand in bed last night. (laughs) I don't know. I Like, he clearly wants to, and maybe he needs to make his intentions more clear or his desires more clear because I understand like he is trying to be and is being very respectful like I'm not going to do anything that this woman doesn't want to do I'm not going to take cues that aren't there I'm not even going to like push the envelope but I think like he should just try and kiss her because she's making it clear that the door is open she's fine with it happening so I think Just try it and see if you like it. Like, it's not like she's saying, I mean, she is saying I don't want to. (laughs) But she's not saying I wouldn't. You know what I mean? (laughs) This is getting into some murky vocabulary. But you guys are picking up. I know you guys understand what I mean. I I just think that, like, the door is open. And it seems very clear that the door is open for Jasmina. I think he needs to step in. I, I, I think that's all that needs to happen here. Um, let's move on to Lindsay and Mark. Oh, of course, we start out with more Diary Cam, solo Diary Cam from Lindsay, because <laughs> surprise, surprise, you guys, she and Mark aren't speaking to each other at this point. She's really... I don't know what has happened in the last two episodes. Like, make no mistake, you guys know that I thought Lindsay has been a wackadoo in some Ann Taylor loft this entire time, but it's just gotten stranger. And I'm really not sure why that is. So Lindsay's really trying hard. She wants us to feel sorry for her and says that the night before, Mark told her in five different ways how much she was too much for him. So we see apartment camera footage of Mark doing exactly that and saying that he doesn't like the fact that, you know, she pokes him and prods him and gives him wet willies and tries to lick him and that she's just a little too hyper and that he doesn't like it. So this woman has the nerve to turn this into a woman's empowerment thing and talks about how, you know, if Mark doesn't want to be with her, then he needs to find somebody who's less of a woman because she's not going to be dimming herself down for any man. Okay. (laughs) Like, is this the hill that you want to die on? You want to be able to freely give your partner wet willies? You want to be able to like poke him like a Christmas ham? Like, is that what you want? This is, this is your fight song, Lindsay. (laughs) Okay. When Dr. Pepper comes over, she asks if there's anything she can help with. And Mark says that his struggle has been the same struggle that he's had for weeks. Which is that with he and Lindsay, they have good times and then they'll have these really frustrating conversations. He doesn't know which way is up with them. And it's hard for him to be overly affectionate because when they have the bad times and these arguments, it's draining. Then he brings up how in Vermont he called Lindsay hyper and she didn't like that and how it seemed to trigger something within her, but he never would have known something like that would have been triggering. So on the one hand he feels bad, but on the other hand, he's a little bit frustrated. So Dr. Pepper fairly is like, well, you know, calling somebody hyper is not a compliment. So like, what did you mean by that? So Mark goes on to tell her that, you know, sometimes they'll be laying down and Lindsay will want to wrestle (laughs) and he knows that she's trying to be playful, but then she starts biting and licking and hitting, and it's just too much for him. And Lindsay's like, you know what? He's never once told me to stop, not in a real way. Like, it always just felt very playful, and he'll laugh, and he'll be like, no, 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 and it's like, we're just joking. (laughs) So then they have to cut to a clip of her trying to, Get him in a suplex or whatever WWE position she was aiming for. And him being like, oh, stop, no. But she was tickling him. That was the uncomfortable laugh of somebody who's being touched and being like, ha, ah, ha, like, please stop. Like, I, ladies, y'all hear me. <laughs> this was not a, a consent I'm having fun laughter. This is um, my body's making me laugh because you, you're tickling me. This is a, a response response. An, an unwilling and undesired response to you physically assaulting me at this point. Like girl, girl, it's giving me to at this point, like, and I don't like it. The Dr. Pepper's response is that, you know, it sounds like you guys are lacking in basic knowledge about each other. And <laughs> Lindsay goes on this rant about how Mark always wants to justify his behavior. So she feels like, if he doesn't want to try, then she doesn't either because she's not going to let him hurt her anymore, okay? <laughs> so then Dr. Pepper asks Lindsay, have you ever asked Mark if he cares about you or whether or not he doesn't care? And she's like, well, you know what? I don't really want to hear the answer to that because I'm not sure if Mark is the right guy for me. So what are we doing here then? What, <laughs> what, are, what are we doing So at that point, Dr. Pepper tells Lindsay, well, okay, you don't think he's a man for you, but just ask him anyway. Just ask him if he he wants to hurt you or if he doesn't care about you. And Mark is like, no, I do care. I never want to do anything to deliberately hurt you, even though I think you feel like I do. Then Lindsay um, talks about how... In his vows, Mark said that he would always choose her first. But she doesn't feel like he ever really does that. And how the other day she asked him to pay attention, but he like couldn't put his phone down for even 10 seconds before he got right back on social media. And so Dr. Pepper sells Mark. Like, if you give Lindsay more affection and you give her more of what she wants then the stuff that she does that annoys the fuck out of you will probably greatly decrease. (laughs) Like, well, I think that she might be right. I have seen girls do this. And I mean girls, I mean girls for real. I'm talking about, like, the girls in my youth group back in middle school would do this. Where, I mean, clearly there's no... um, Physical situations happening. So people are very frustrated. And uh, how, how many wrestling, um, <laughs> fake wrestling moves I saw these girls get into with the guys they had crushes on because there was no way to, like, express physically how much you like this person. So they'd be wrestling, wrestling. Um, She'd be on his back. They'd be running with her on his back. Just, like, the whole thing. So I do understand how, like, she's probably very sexually and physically frustrated. And so she's getting it out with these little jabs and pokes and prodding. And while I'm team Mark all the way, like, don't touch me like that. And if you do, like, don't touch me at all. (laughs) The door is closing very quickly with the wet willie. Like you can be a wet willie one time. I've blocked your number before you've even left the room. Like it, it's quiet. We're done. We're done. Okay. Um. So, but I, on the other hand, I do understand. Like, even though Lindsay's being super fucking annoying, and I would never want to be in Mark's shoes, I do understand why she's doing that, and that's all the credit I can give Lindsay at this point. Dr. Pepper does thankfully ask Lindsay to release the pressure off of the situation. Like, calm the fuck down, girl. But Lindsay hears nothing. She hears nothing about, like, what she can do to improve the situation. She just keeps continuing on about how she needs somebody who's going to try new things and try new foods. And Dr. Pepper's like, you know, I have seen those videos. And Mark actually has tried a lot of the new foods that you force him to eat. And we get a whole montage of the things that he's tried, like uh, grape leaves and salsa. Um, You know, I am going to move past my confusion over you getting to whatever age Mark is and having never tried salsa before. Like, that's truly wild to me. But you know what? We'll move past it. Mark says that Lindsay pressuring him about the food is a lot like their relationship. Like, she needs to chill out. And she also needs to understand where he's coming from because she thinks that he is so picky and so resistant towards trying new foods. But from his angle and from his sense of things, he's like, I know if we eat seven meals together out of the week, that all seven of those meals, are you going to be force feeding me to have like sushi or omakase or um, whatever the hell? Couscous doesn't matter. Okay. And so, like, see it from my perspective. And so maybe if you, like, ask me if I want something to eat before shoving it down my trachea, I might be more willing to try it. And just like our relationship, if you stop giving me jabs with your coffin nail into my rib cage, maybe I'll be a little bit nicer and not so on edge because I'm not constantly terrified of the threat of you uh, searing me with your index finger. Then Mark gets really real with Lindsay and is like, hey, I know how to love somebody. I've, this is not my first time at the rodeo girl. And if you would just stop, you know, doing gymnast routines on my dick, give me some breathing room, I'll be more than happy to shower you with all the romance that I know that you're asking for and that you want. And then he breaks it down even further and is like, I know what you want. Okay? (laughs) I know what you want. um, And that's it. Like, just let me, give me the space to allow me to give that to you. (sighs) Then things take a turn for the absolute tragic. And we find out that Mark's first cat, 14-year-old JC, has really taken a sharp decline. I can't even get into it. I mean, those scenes of him and, and JC looking at him in the veterinarian's office like, I can't, I can't go there emotionally. So I'm not going to, and I'm going to spare you guys. Cause I will cry. <laughs> I will cry. I mean, it was so sweet. Nope. I got to move on. Got to move on. Um, RIP to you, JC. You looked like a very sweet cat. And I, it seemed like you had a very lovely life. So RIP to JC. Um, the next day, Lindsay takes Mark on a hike and I'm thinking this has to be the last thing this man wants to do. Every idea that you have, Lindsay, is the last thing that he wants to do. So why are we here? Why is this man having to hike in a brand-new white sweatshirt and brand-new white uh, shoes? I feel like this man really can't take a break. She, Lindsay, is having the time of her life, okay, paying, playing pippy long stocking, making mud pies. This story, when she told this story about her her backyard, I was like, for those of you who guys for those of you guys who watch Real Housewives in New York this had Ramona singer all over it and I'm like oh my god Lindsay is a Ramona singer <laughs> married at first sight so this random woods somewhere in Massachusetts that uh, Lindsay has taken mark is supposed to represent her backyard that she grew up in as a child so apparently the backyard had like a lot of forests and so she would make you know a little... Um, hideaway spaces out of the plants and bushes and just have a a great time with the fairies or mushrooms or whatever the hell she was doing. Lindsay's feeling great. And again, no accountability because in a confessional, she's talking about how, you know, I'm having to drive the bus away to um, from one to another of Mark's storms. And, you know, I hope the conversation that we had with Dr. Pepper was successful in that Mark will finally listen to the fact that I need to be put first. Not an ounce of introspection. It's honestly impressive at this point. Um, This man is mortified. He doesn't want to smell any of the plants. He's got his car keys in his hand the whole time. I hope you guys noticed that. (laughs) Uh, The editors can put all the flowery, romantic date music over this that they want. But I could tell Mark was mortified the entire time. He kept asking where the benches were at. (laughs) He did not want to be there. Um, So then Lindsay talks about her background and she says, you know, her father, her father's way of parenting was just giving them the material things that they needed, but not actually being an active and involved parent, which caused her mom to be a stay at home mother and the mother and father when she didn't really want to do any of that. And so this made her mom very resentful. And most of that resentment was directed towards Lindsay. And then Lindsay reads the letter to herself about how people always tell her that she's too much and she's going to feel out of place because of it. But, you know, one day she's going to live a life where people accept her and it's going to be everything she ever wanted and more. Um, they have a, you know, a nice little moment where they hold hands. And Mark says in a confessional that he likes to see and hear more about the vulnerable sides of Lindsay. Um, because the more she's able to be vulnerable with him, he's going to be able to do that with her. Then Mark takes Lindsay to his childhood home in Quincy, I noticed he pronounced it Quincy, Massachusetts, and he starts to get a little bit emotional because, you know, it was the last house that his father lived in. I guess they sold a house a couple years ago after his father died. And did you guys get the impression that he was also still living with his parents at that point? Because he said, we lived there last two years ago. I don't know. Um, but he starts to get like emotional because the house has changed. It's got new owners. And so, you know, the basketball hoop that he had is gone. The initials where all of his friends wrote in the pavement is gone. And you you could just tell, like, it really took him back to that place. And he talks about how (laughs) his Dad would be outside, like, being really friendly and trying to wave at people. And his mom would be just, like, yelling out the window about how nobody cares. <laughs> nobody wants to see you wave. <laughs> I Okay. that's It sounded really sad. It sounded really sad. Like, the pictures that they showed was just, wow. Like, if I had to imagine in my mind, like, if somebody was, like, close your eyes and imagine uh somebody who grew up in the 70s in like the greater Boston area those would have been the pictures that I saw like uh, the cigarettes the the old formal uh, not formaldehyde the, the formica counters just classic loved it then Rick reads a letter to himself about you know remembering the moment savoring these memories taking all the pictures that you have because You know, the times are going to be short-lived and he doesn't forget things. And then in a confessional, Lindsay says that she's really grateful for Mark for being so vulnerable. And even though they might miss the mark, no pun intended, in a lot of ways, when they are able to connect with each other, it's a deep connection. And she appreciates that. Then Mark, you could tell by his eyes that he was like truly, like I said, feeling a lot. And so he's looking around. The neighborhood and keeps staring at his house, and he tells Lindsay that he would eventually like to own his home and move back there one day. Lindsay's response was so strange, and she's like, Well, it's almost like she was jealous of the house and the happy memories that he had, and was like, You know, I do. She like she looks around the neighborhood and it's like you know it does seem like a nice neighborhood and I when you're telling these stories I do kind of pick up on like the happy feeling that you had but we can live in every other house and she literally points to every house in the neighborhood except for his and it's basically just like we want I don't want to compete with the past and I think we should have a new beginning. What do you mean like his childhood? Like who are you competing with in this situation? Like, let's really think about this. His mom? His mom? Are you feeling like you're in direct competition with his mother? Because that's strange. That's very strange. Moving on. Speaking of strange, Katina and Olajuwon. Katina, again, is talking about how she's very happy with Olajuwon and even goes so far as to say that she feels like Superwoman next to him. When? When? Because what I see... Is a very tired woman who really isn't able to speak for herself. So is this like the Superwoman before she, <laughs> like, who's Super? Is her name Kara or Kara? It, is it the the normal version of Superwoman before she gets her powers and nobody knows who she is and she has no say and she's just like hiding in the background? Is that what you mean? I think that might be a little bit more accurate than the one the version with her uh, costume on. Anyway. Um, Elijah says in a confessional that he was worried about the timeline for their future because last week he threw in this grenade about how you know Katina wants to have kids in a couple years, but she's not going to be graduating so for another couple years. So basically, that her graduation going to time uh, uh, her graduation timeline is going to line up with her starting to have children, and how concerned he is about that. So he says, you know, he's also worried about himself and uh, sacrificing travel and having kids in two years and whether or not he's willing to listen to this. Well, whether or not he's willing to sacrifice to see if Katina can make him satisfied while also adding more to her plate. If you're still looking at this relationship as a sacrifice, then say no to her on decision day. Like, at this stage in any sort of relationship, like, even if you're dating, you should be excited. Like, if you're two months, almost two months, six weeks into a dating relationship, and you're looking at being with this person as a sacrifice and not something that you're excited to do and not planning for a future that you guys could potentially have... Uh, that doesn't sound great. He doesn't like her. I think Elijah Wan does not want to fail. I think he's desperately insecure. I mean, that is very obvious. But I also think that he just doesn't really like Katina that much. It, like, just on a human-to-human human level. Why would you still view this being with her as a sacrifice? That's bad. that is an objectively bad thing to say so he starts off first by taking katina to the um you know in his words projects that he grew up in and he tells her that there were four people in a two bedroom house and he basically slept in the uh like back patio where his brother slept in the attic and they just like kind of had to make rooms out of places that weren't traditional bedrooms and um talks about how important it is that he does well and like be stable financially because of where he came from and that's all well and good like i get that but like he's just doing too much here like you are not gonna berate me and because i'm still stuck on him basically being like i don't know if katina is mentally capable of like doing adult things remember that Because I certainly do. And so when you're saying like, I'm giving you tough love because of where I came from, like that's not tough love. That's rude. And it's wrong. And it's mean. He says in a confessional that he and Katina, you know, were on the different sides of, they didn't grow up on the same side of the track and, you know, her house had two bedrooms. And so they just have very different life experiences. Right. And then he thanks Katina for looking past his upbringing and not judging him for it. And I think this might be more insight into his obvious insecurities with regard to Katina I don't, they're not a match. They are not a match. Then they switch it up. Katina brings Elijah on to the church that she grew up in. She said she always had fun and she met her best friend there. One of the friends ended up being a bridesmaid and it just has a lot of happy memories for her. And, Then she starts talking about her relationship to faith, how she believes in the power of prayer and everything happening for a reason and how, um, Elijah Wan's mom had breast cancer. She was diagnosed with breast cancer, but while Katina was signing up for married at first sight, her mom also got diagnosed with breast cancer. So she was talking about how like, she just knew that because of her relationship to her faith, She knew that her mom wasn't going to die from the best cancer, but there would be some ultimate bigger lesson to be learned from that. And so, you know, he commends her on her relationship to religion. And they talk about God and raising kids and how they both want to raise their kids in the church. And I thought Katina had like a fairly liberal mindset about it with regard to like, yeah, I'm going to teach them. Give them the foundation in their early years. And once they get older, they can figure out what they want to do and decide from there. When Dr. Pepper comes over, we find out it's been about 10 days since her showdown with Elijah Wan, right? The one where he popped off at her at that indoor um, uh, volleyball court in front of everybody. And then she got, she found him. She got in his ass, kind of. (laughs) So it's been 10 days about that it's been 10 days since then, but Elijah, you know, he, he's always turning it into something a positive for him. He's like, you know, we had our situation, but you know, we're down to the wire with decision day. So, you know, I just need any guidance. And so I'm actually happy that she's here. (laughs) Okay. Um, we need to talk about his outfit though. You do need guidance, but sorry, you guys. Um, I think it might be more with fashion and then maybe um, enunciation and figuring out what words are actually words. This this outfit, okay, the top. I'm looking at it first and I'm thinking, that's kind of a weird choice to put a gray uh, V-neck vest over a blue and red plaid shirt, button-down shirt, but then I looked a little bit closer and realized that that wasn't what was happening. It was one piece made to look like a vest over a plaid. And I know that that happens. And I'm not always mad when it does, but this one was particularly upsetting because like where did he even get that? <laughs> where where does one even find that? And there was no buttons. It was like a tech vest. You know, like with the the half zip that goes down the chest. But you were trying to make it look, I hated that. I hate It's the ugliest thing. Worse than his, um I'd talk, talk with me, not at me shirt was this two piece, one piece number. So when Dr. Pepper sits down, Elijah Wan is, you know, acting as though he and his wife, My wife, my wife or the perfect dream team, how we can get over every fight so quickly now, much more quickly than we used to. And then he tells a story about an argument that they had gotten into that we had not been privy to before. What the hell? So he tells Dr. Pepper that they got into an argument that was like real nasty. And at one point he caught himself telling Katina to shut up now shut up is a very big term for me it is one of my deal breakers you are not going to tell me to shut up I think it is so rude in a relationship like you can do it in a joking way I'm not saying you can never say it like if we're joking and I'm like oh shut up you know like that's fine but if we're like dead ass in an argument and you're telling me to shut up <laughs> again Blocked before you even let your ass let the door hit you on the ass like you're not doing that with me or you're going to have to have a lot of splaining to do to get yourself out of that one. No, that's that's a no for me dog, but. Elijah Juan is telling this as though it's a heartwarming story of how he was able to like quickly realize that that wasn't the thing to do. And he went to the bathroom, came out and was like, you know what? I absolutely should not have spoken to my wife that way. And I need to watch how I talk before I speak to you. So Dr. Pepper does commend him on, you know, realizing that that was not the thing he should have done and how that was actually a sign of growth. And she can give him that, but I don't have to, and so I'm not going to. Elijah once said, you know, it felt good to have Katina open her eyes, open her arms to me, even though I was treating her like that. Great. What did that do for her, though? <laughs> like, what you're talking about is abuse, right? Like, you're saying, I told her to shut up. And even after all of that, like even though I knew I was horrible to her, she was still able to embrace me and how great that is. You should actually feel ashamed that she had to do that rather than this being like a great moment for you guys as a couple. Like that sucks. That sucks that, that you put her in the position to do that. Ugh, gross. Um. So then they talk about how, by the way, Katina has not said a single thing it's as though dr pepper and elijah one are having this conversation about their relationship his relationship as though katina's not even there like dr pepper is even participating in this too and asking like oh well how do you guys see your future this that and the third it's like um she's here you guys know that she's here because i can see her I could see her in her very bright like tennis outfit. She looks really cute, but like she's very obviously there. Why are we not having this conversation as a group and not like what Elijah Juan sees for the future of them as a couple? It was weird. So Elijah Juan says that what they need as a couple at that point is just to dig deeper, have some deeper conversations, know what they want for their future, yada, yada, yada. So, He goes on to say that they talked about having kids on the same timeline. This is a conversation they had like moment one at the reception. And then he says, you know, I'm just we're having a conflict right now. And our conflict is about whether or not she can finish her bachelor's and her nursing degree before having a kid. And, you know, I don't want her to feel overwhelmed, but I also want to make sure that I'm happy, too. So finally, Dr. Pepper asks Katina how she might think or feel about her own relationship. And Katina's like, You know, I understand that Elijah wants to make sure I'm not overwhelmed. And, you know, that might require some attention. Um, Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. but I also think that Elijah Juan requires a little bit more attention than the average person and that it can be draining for me and I feel like nobody wanted to ask Katina how you might feel about that do you want to expand on why you feel so drained we can see it in your face girl like no shade but you got Birkins under those bags and it's gotta be mostly due to having to drag this man with a receding hairline and make it seem like he's a fully formed nice human being even though he's not he's a dementor from outer space okay so uh, uh, why did they not ask her then Elisha the next thing we see is Elisha crying in a confessional wiping his tears about how they need to figure out this stuff and how actually if he were Katina and he were in her position about, like, you know, two years out of graduating, and realistically, he would do his own thing. He's like, I'm not going to tell her that, but, like, I would just, like, hit the ground running and keep grinding and keep do, doing on, and, like, not focusing on this relationship. So the producer straight up asks Elijah Juan, do you think that Katina should say no on decision day, like, for herself? And he's like, yeah, I do. And if you really care about somebody, you want what's best for them, and that's what I think is best for her. But then you just said that you're not going to tell her that, which is even worse. (laughs) Like, I would rather you not have any idea of what's best for me but then know it and actively keep that information because it might help you in the future. But it's not going to help you as a thing. Sorry, guys, New York is happening outside. But he... um, He's not doing, he's doing both of them a a disservice. Like I think, and this might be the first time I'm going to say this, that he's actually right. And that like, even if, no, I I don't actually, I I think I agree with Elijah Juan that she should continue her uh, career. Um, I think that she should do anything to get away from Elijah Wan, but she does have the great excuse of having uh, a degree that she wants to complete. So I think you use that excuse and run with it. If Katina were in a relationship with, you know, any other guy, Michael, Steve, whatever. um, I don't know if I would feel the same way because I think she might feel be matched with somebody who was willing to have more of a partnership. Like when he's saying that he's concerned about Katina's ability to like be a mother and, uh, start her career, he's worrying about how this is going to affect him. Like he's worried about how he's going to have a, uh, stay at home mother who also is in a career because he can't afford to take care of both of them, which is fine. But like, let's be real here. Um, Be a new mother, be in her career, and also do all the other things that you're expecting her to do as a wife. This, his concern, I think, is more about, like, how am I going to have to pick up the slack? It's not even going to be slack, you know? How am I going to have to step up to the plate more when she's got all these other things going on? And she's going to have an actual excuse, and I'm not going to be able to get out of it. I'm not gonna be able to berate her into feeling like she's not doing enough because she actually will be at that point. And and she is now, but like now, then he's really not gonna have an excuse. All right, let's end with Steve and Noi. A couple I really honestly would have forgotten about had I not scrolled down (laughs) and seen my notes. Why am I having such trouble being interested in them? Because they do have like kind of interesting storylines. But I'm just constantly forgetting about them. So let's talk about it. Um, Steve and his diamond earrings and his chain take Noi to his place, the home that he always grew up in. Um, his parents are not together, I'm assuming, right? Because we only saw his mom. And, uh, yeah, I don't think they're together. So he talks about his teenage life as a hot boy who would sneak out of the house and how they would put the car in neutral. So her parents wouldn't hear him starting the car, even though she was like, yeah, we heard you every time. Like, don't get it twisted, sir. Um, how their basement was like the, the party spot and all the wild things that happened. Now I did notice in the backyard that there was a sign that said assistant principal. So, Do you think that she was his principal when he was in high school having all those parties? That would have sucked. That really would have sucked. Uh, You know, shout out to the magic of of people's basement that you can hang out in in high school. I'm not going to get more into the details on that because, again, my mom listens to this podcast. But you know what? I'm a grown-ass woman at this point, okay? So (laughs) whatever happened to me, the the statute of limitations of what happened um, in – Redacted's basement. We don't have to get into it. Okay. Let's move on. Um, I was living my life as a teenage hot boy too. Just, like, just like Steve. <laughs> I'm actually joking. No cap at all. Like I was a pretty good kid. Okay. Mother, you, you had nothing to be worried about. Mostly. Anyway. Um, so Steve goes on to talk about, they're going through the yearbook and we find out that Steve got voted best dancer in his high school and that he was (laughs) a little bit of a local legend. It had a brief stint as a rapper and, um, was dropping beats. He and his friends were dropping beats in his, uh, basement. And he had one friend who would spend all their time like making beats in the, on the computer. And they did, a bunch of songs, and one song ended up taking off. Again, very very locally. Very locally. But he was featured on it, and it was a song called Get Down or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it was called Get Down. I mean, the beat, the song was giving, like, LMFAO Fist Pumping Down at the Jersey Shore. But, like, I wasn't mad at it. Like, for a... Basement, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s basement hip hop song from Waltham, Massachusetts. It was pretty good. It was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> then we, um, Noi takes Steve to a, a, a dance studio. And she talks about how much dance was important to her, how growing up she wasn't really allowed to express any sort of emotion. And so they would just dance. And that was like their way of letting things out. So they do this. Uh, they go to the studio. They meet up with a teacher. And she teaches them like some sort of hip hop, you know, eight count, right? <laughs> Noi is having fun. Steve is fucking getting it okay he is pop locking boot body rolling all the moves two step in and i'm thinking this whole time like steve has made it very clear that he does not want to work in a traditional job uh maybe he needs to audition for the jabberwockies like <laughs> this dude was serious like he was auditioning for america's best dance crew uh what a moment You guys remember America's Best Dance Crew on MTV? Who hosted that? Was it X to the Z exhibit? Why would he be the host of America's Best (laughs) Dance? It was somebody. I'm not going to look it up, but you guys remember. You guys remember. Um, Steve is really cracking me up with his dancing because it's, like, good. You know, like, I always have, as a black woman, just, like, an abject, uh, initial terror that happens through me at the idea of a white man dancing, but like he was getting it. And I, and I really, I I appreciated it. I appreciated it. Um, so when they're done, Noi continues to talk about how she wasn't really allowed to express her emotions growing up. And so she would listen to like sad songs and dance and it would make her feel better. And then she says, she like offers more insight into why she shuts down with Steve. And she says again, that like she was not allowed to have emotions and that when they've had arguments and she didn't express herself in that moment, it wasn't because she didn't want to, it's just more because it didn't come naturally to her. Um, and then she tells Steve that she feels like when she's being stubborn about the social media stuff, it's more of her trying to stand up and be independent than her like trying to have a fight with him. And Steve is really understanding and says, I- I'm getting what you're saying, but like we also need to make sure that we maintain a level of mutual respect with each other. Then Noi reads the letter to herself. He didn't have to read one, did he? Did they make Steve read one? I don't think they did. I feel like they feel like Steve is <laughs> quote unquote normal. So they're just not gonna make him like dive that deep into stuff. But um Noy reads her letter to herself about how it's okay to have emotions even though you were reprimanded in the past when you did. And she also mentions how like when you are unable to have emotions and express them and verbalize them, for her it made everything really scary for her and then she starts to talk about feeling like a burden and how her parents worked really hard her mom worked at like a chicken shack where I guess they would slaughter the chickens and she would come home and have blood on her cheeks and how Noi would just feel so much guilt about like damn would my parents really have to like I hate that my parents have to do this. I hate that my parents have to work so hard. Would they have to be doing this if we didn't have if they didn't have kids? Like, would they have to be making all these sacrifices and that made her feel like guilty. In a confessional, Steve says that he has a lot more of an understanding about why Noy craves so much security. Um and then Dr. Pepper comes to have their meeting, right? She asks how they're feeling, if they've made any progress, and Noy says, that in the past she hadn't felt safe enough to have deep conversations with Steve because she was scared. uh, But how Steve interpreted her walking away as not trusting him. And Steve says that he's kind of a little bit nervous about whether um, in the future, Noy's is going to continue to walk away when things get more difficult. So then when Dr. Pepper asked him like, What's going on with the living situation? Because Noi said that she doesn't want to live with Steve after the experiment. Doesn't really see the point in it. Um, Dr. Pepper actually has to bring up a point of uh, the fact that she does not live with her husband. But before Noi can get too excited, she says... Hey, I've been in a 16-year marriage. This is my second husband. My first one was 23 years, and we had kids together. So it made a lot more sense. It was a lot more practical for us to live together. So, like, what's good, Noi? Why do you not see the benefit in that? And... Noi's just like, well, you know, we just haven't really worked on it. And she seems like it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, well, you know, by decision day, there are going to be a lot of things that we haven't discussed and hashed out. And I just feel like this is probably going to be one of those things. Like, she doesn't really seem to think that this is a big deal. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, but... To act like there's no need for a conversation about this, I think, is kind of weird. Like, you're already living together. So I think we need to have a talk about why we're not going to be living together in the future. Noi does say, you know, I really want Steve in my life every day. And, you know, I want him incorporated in there somehow. We just haven't discussed how that's going to happen. (laughs) Okay, girl. Well, good luck with you on that. And good luck to us all we're winding down just a few more weeks until decision day, a few more episodes before the season is over. I can't imagine any of you listening to this or watching the show has hope with any couple <laughs> saying yes on decision day. Um, mm, look like the preview Jasmine is still struggling with Michael and um not wanting to touch him. So <sighs> I don't know, y'all. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Thank me for speaking.